Hey, good morning, church, and everyone listening from home today. Uh, we are reading from 2 Timothy 4, verse 1 through 8. If you're reading along on your pew Bible, that's page 965. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. This is the word of the Lord. So it is a pleasure to be up here once again to preach the word to you. And I want to start by saying thank you. Thank you to everyone who has been praying for me during this pastoral internship. It's been such a blessing. And God has really been using this opportunity to grow and to stretch me in ways I have not been before in my life. Thank you. Thank you for loving me, for loving my wife, and for watching over me during this journey. I praise God for all of you. Thank you so much. So now, who remembers Kawhi Mania in Toronto in 2019? <laughs> so the Raptors just won the championship. We're all on cloud nine, and over a million people descend upon downtown Toronto for a parade to celebrate. And then the real anxiety sets in. Will Kawhi Leonard sign back with the Toronto Raptors? That whole summer, social media went from stalking Kawhi's private jet to following him where his kids went to school to restaurants offering him a free meal for life. I was at work the day when his plane landed in Toronto and an SUV was bringing him to a Yorkville hotel downtown to have a meeting about a possible contract. And helicopters were following that SUV like it was OJ on the run. It was wild. <laughs> and almost everyone at my workplace was in the break room watching CB24. Watching CB24 follow this SUV is, is wild. And for me, it was a time of anxiety. And two days later, I remember I was in bed. It's 2 a.m., just got home from work. Social media is blowing up. Kawhi Leonard has signed with the Los Angeles Clippers. I was devastated. Toronto was heartbroken. And for those who paid attention and cared, it was a time of anticipation of patience, of possibly preparing for another Raptors championship. And I found that this is something that is absolutely ingrained 
and the human design, especially for sports fans. Or moms and dads, how about that baby's due date? The things you have to prepare for. Is the home ready? Are we ready? How about the night before the wedding? I remember I had so much anxiety and great anticipation. I was blessed to have some brothers by my side the night before to hold me down. Shout out to my boy James from Arkansas right here. <laughs> but with all of this combined, it is ingrained in us. Anticipation, longing, what we wait for will change us, our hearts, our minds. So I ask you this morning, when it comes to the return of Jesus Christ here on this earth, how does it change you? Not just life, cha life choices, but your affections, your longings, your desires. And this is what we're going to look into this morning. Thank you, Sydney, for reading 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 to 8. But this morning, we're going to zero in on verses 6 to verse 8. And, and I'm going to put a magnifying glass over verse 8 specifically. And the big idea I want you to focus on this morning is this. Those who love and long for the return of Jesus will persevere to the end and receive a great reward. I'll say that one more time. Those who love and long for the return of Jesus Christ will persevere to the end and receive a great reward. For over a year, we spent our time in the book of Acts. And we got to see the in-depth story of the Apostle Paul. And something that was highlighted in those stories was suffering and persecution. For Paul, it was unescapable. No matter how many people were getting saved and baptized from town to town, suffering and persecution followed. And this is the feeling in the background of 2 Timothy. Now, I don't have time this morning to give you an in-depth look at this letter. But simply, it is the Apostle Paul's final letter before his death. It is written directly to Timothy, his right-hand man, his successor. In chapter 1, verse 2, he calls Timothy his son in the faith. In Acts, we see the beginning of that relationship between Timothy and Paul. We see their journeys. We see their experiences. But this is an intimate and an emotional letter from a mentor father to a mentee son. And this final letter from Paul to Timothy is to encourage, exhort in the face of suffering, persecution, and death. Paul is looking death straight in the face. From history, we know that this is his final letter. And death is right around the corner waiting for him. But he must continue on. And by continuing on, he must leave instructions for the next generation. And, those, and these instructions are coming from a longing anticipation of the return, or the passage uses the word appearing of Jesus Christ. 
This letter is filled with encouragement to Timothy, filled with exhortation, thanksgiving. But more than anything else, there are passages and verses addressing suffering and persecution. In fact, more than any other letter written by Paul, there are names upon names of individuals who have rejected God. About eight individuals that Paul calls, calls out by name. These individuals have caused chaos and heartache in the church, leading many astray. But this letter also has names of individuals that Paul is grateful for. And we see that at the end of the letter. But in the midst of all this, and we see that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 to 8. And the passage that Sydney read for us starts and ends off on the same note with the same phrase. His appearing. His appearing. In verse 1 of that passage of chapter 4, it says this. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his, and his kingdom, I give you this charge. And then at the end, in verse 8, it says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. His appearing. And it simply means this, the return of Jesus. The day when Jesus Christ will appear again to his people, to his creation here on earth. And in the middle of all of that is verse 2 to verse 5. And we see Paul has given Timothy a charge. He's given him a charge. And Paul is saying this in verse 2 and verse 5. He's saying this. Here is the big reality. We are in the presence of Jesus. He will judge the living and the dead. And he is coming back soon to bring his kingdom. So in light of this grand event that Jesus is coming back, I have a charge and command for you. Preach the Bible. Timothy, now is not the time to give up or give in. Be ready in and out of season. Preach the word. Why? Because you are and will be surrounded by people who do not love sound doctrine and sound teaching. What this Bible says, and what God says, they do not care. They rather follow their own way and their own desires, and they'll surround themselves with teachers, with friends, and even with pastors who will teach them what their itching ears want to hear. Their ears itch for myths and false teachings, and they will turn away from truth. So keep your head up, Timothy. Keep your head in all situations. Endure. Endure suffering. Endure persecution. Don't just preach the word, but share the gospel as well. Do the work of an evangelist. Do all that is in your calling as a pastor and as an elder. And then we get to verse 6 and verse 8. And Paul is saying, I have run the race. And he has passed on the baton off to Timothy. And it's his time to go be with Jesus and receive his reward. Now I have 
three points for us to focus on this morning in light of verse 6 and verse 8. And here's the first point. Keeping the faith and persevering to the end. Keeping the faith and persevering to the end. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 to 7, it says this. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have, found, I have fought the good fight and have finished the race. I have kept the faith. As I shared before, this entire passage is sandwiched between two of the same phrases. His appearing. And this is why. Remember the main idea this morning. Those who love and long for the return of Jesus will persevere to the end and receive a great reward. And this is what he's talking about. Perseverance. Knowing that his departure is near. And the end of that road of perseverance is his own end. But even greater than his own demise is the fact that Jesus is coming back. Church, I asked you in the beginning, how does that shape your thinking here today? I didn't ask about your views of the days and the hour of his return. And theologians call that eschatology, the study of the end times. I didn't ask you about that. See, these are all great conversations over a nice coffee or, for some of you, a pint of beer. But that should not define our view of the return of Jesus. In fact, it could be a great distraction and steers away from what really matters. And that is, do I love that Jesus is coming back? Truthfully, how does it lead your way in this life? The fact that, yes, it's been 2,000 years. The skies have not cracked open. Jesus has not yet descended from the skies like he said he would. But no man knows the day or the hour. Jesus says this in Matthew 24 and in Revelation chapter 16. And Paul says the same in 1 Thessalonians 5. This same point they all say here. That it will be like a thief in the night. You won't know when it happens. But in light of this, Paul has persevered all the suffering, all the persecution. Paul knew coming into this that he would suffer for Jesus. In Acts chapter 29, verse 15 to 16, and this is after Jesus appears to Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul is saved. And the Lord sends Ananias to Paul and he says this in verse 15. But the Lord said, it, said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And we went through that act's journey together, experiencing just that in the life of Paul. The beatings, the floggings, being imprisoned, Wrongly accused, betrayed, Paul has persevered. And Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, he says, For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. Paul is looking at the Old Testament here when he says that. We see this in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. A drink offering is a sacrifice to the Lord. 
wine is offered to the Lord. Most often it is said to be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Paul is being poured out. That is an important part of this verse here. It says, for I'm already being poured out. Paul is being poured out. He's not doing the pouring. My friends, Jesus is his king. And his king has his hand on the cup of Paul's life. And he's ready to pour. And Paul is ready to depart. And continuing on in verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul has persevered. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, Paul says this. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And brothers and sisters, he has done so. As I said before, the suffering and persecution he has endured. We see this all throughout the story in Acts. And in this letter, 2 Timothy, we see it come to a completion. When Paul says, fought the good fight, finished the race, kept the faith. Brothers and sisters, it is a victory cry of perseverance. <clears throat> now some, some commentaries I read mentioned that some may read a statement of pride into this. And I say, whoever says something like that knows nothing of Paul, his life, his journey, or of Jesus and his grace. You see, this is a statement of admission. This fight has been filled to the very top with persecution and suffering. And that fight is a good fight. It is a fight that he has endured, a race he has endured. And if we understand Paul's teaching and his teaching of faith, we know that faith is a gift. It is not something that you or I can earn by working hard. Coming to church, good. Serving every week, sitting in these pews to sing and to listen. Or like our youth hear from me every Wednesday, coming to youth group, going to church because dad and mom does, being in LIT. This doesn't grant you faith. God grants you faith. The reason I stand up here to preach his word, and preach his gospel is because he allows it. And because he has given me faith to believe it. And that very faith, Paul has kept it. Not because of how hard he persevered and how hard he endured, but because of a tight grip and hold of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who by grace through faith, holds on to the Christian with a God-like hold that no hellish demon or destruction-bound devil can break. This is a statement of admission. 
The reason we exist as a church, <coughs> as a church is because... <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> I got some water. <laughs> Too much talking. <laughs> Thanks, bro. <clears throat> This church, the reason we exist as a church is because of the blood and broken body of Jesus Christ. The reason this church has been blessed with godly elders who love Jesus and love you is because of the blood and broken body of Jesus Christ. And that broken and bloodied Jesus rose from death on the third day. And walked amongst his people, his disciples, and ascended into the sky to be seated at the right hand of his father in victory. This is the king that Paul serves. The king who has poured out the life of Paul for us all to see. The king who enables Paul to fight, to run the race, to persevere, and to hold on to this faith. But this is not the end. This is not the end. And this, is, this leads to our second point. Jesus will return and give a righteous reward. Jesus will return and give a righteous reward. And we see in the first half of verse 8, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Like I said, this is not the end. Paul has persevered. Remember our main idea this morning. Those who love and long for the return of Jesus will persevere to the end and receive a reward, a great reward. Paul is ready to receive his reward. You see, this is a reoccurring theme all throughout the New Testament from Paul. But also we see from Jesus and from the Apostle John that there will be a reward for those who persevere to the end. A reward that, once again, cannot be earned by our own works or by your own righteousness, but by Jesus' righteousness. You see, the reason we as Christians for 2,000 years have matured in the understanding of Jesus' righteousness being our own, it's because of Paul's writing in the Bible. In Christian theology, there is a term, imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness. This means that through faith, through faith in the life, death, resurrection, and person of Jesus, then the moral perfection, the righteousness of Jesus becomes my own. So when God the Father looks at me, because of faith, he sees the righteousness of Jesus in me. His righteousness becomes my own. And it has nothing to do with what I can do to earn it. You see, Jesus purchased my life on the cross. But on this side of life, we struggle. We all struggle with sin. We struggle with sin. Our eyes wander our minds wander. We often forget. You see, even though we cannot earn righteousness, we still are required 
to live a holy life. Look at Paul's life. He obeyed and he lived a holy life. So when I say that you cannot earn your salvation or righteousness, that does not mean you do not live a holy life. And there is a final part of this righteousness that we await, that, only, that, be, that can only become ours through death. And I'm not going to go through this right now, but death is one of those topics that I enjoy to discuss only because of Paul's writings. If it wasn't there, it would be a hard thing to discuss, especially in his letter to the Philippians. To die is to attain to receive a new body, Paul says. Like Jesus, when he died and rose again, he came back in a new body. And when we die and stand before God, we will also receive a new body without corruption of sin and of death if we believe in his gospel. And this is another picture of that reality in this passage. Paul is saying, I will finally receive a crown of righteousness and it will come from the righteous judge, Jesus. <clears throat> Remember that Paul is on his way to death. He will shortly be judged by the emperor, the emperor Nero in Rome. And he, will, and he will be wrongly judged and then beheaded. And we know this from history outside of the Bible. But Paul is saying, the righteous judge will finally crown me with the righteousness that I so longed for. He's saying, I longed for this day so long. He would say things like, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And this is his gain today. The king of kings will crown me with his very own righteousness. And whether it be a literal crown or a figurative crown, it is a status of victory. Paul is saying, all this suffering that I have endured will result in victory at the end. And I will dwell forever with my king who gave his life for me on the cross. Remember, it's not because of anything I've done or how holy I am. But exclusively because of the holy, righteous, majestic, sovereign Lord he gives the reward because of who he is. And he will give it on that day. Paul says, which the Lord will reward me on that day. And this leads to our third and final point. The return of Jesus is for all who long for it. The return of Jesus is for all who long for it. And this is the final part of verse 8, but I will read the whole verse. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have, who have longed for his appearing. Brothers and sisters, this passage has been a powerful passage in my life in the last couple months. You know, this passage, wasn't, this passage wasn't assigned to me or it wasn't something that I've been studying in school. But it's such a, it's a hard topic. And it's a topic that I find we need to talk about more. How do we feel about the return of Jesus? 
like I said, the reality of death, it can be absolutely overwhelming to all of us in this room and outside of this room. It is a poison that no mere man or human being can get rid of. And yet still, our world is filled with an obsession with living for ourselves. Not knowing that there is a righteous judge that awaits us after death. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, death is heavy. It is heavy. Some of us in this room this year has been face to face with death. We have experienced it in our families. But this is why this, this passage is so powerful. Because all that I have shared with you today about the Apostle Paul, his endurance, his perseverance, in the face of total obedience to God, in living a holy life, in preaching the gospel to the lost, in the face of total suffering and persecution, in receiving a reward, a crown of righteousness from Jesus, Paul is saying, this is for you. This is for you. And we know this from his writings. This world is filled with so much perversion of what love is, what sex is, what wealth and happiness is. And unfortunately for some of you in this room today, you may be still longing for the world, for what the world is giving you today and what the world can give you. But I want to tell you with confidence, with confidence, it is a lie. This world is a dead corpse, rotting, and it is ugly. And Paul has seen that beauty of Jesus and he longs for his return and the crown that he will receive. And Paul is saying this to you today. The crown that I will receive, you can receive it as well. But the massive life changer here, to all who have longed for his appearing, it says, I personally prefer the ESV transla translation of this verse. And it says it like this in ESV. It says, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Loved. Remember our main idea this morning again. Those who love and long for the return of Jesus will persevere to the end and receive a great reward. Love. Brothers and sisters, is this how you view the return of Jesus Christ this morning? Is this something that you long for? Is this something that you're in love with? As we celebrate the new year tonight, as we make plans for bodily changes or financial changes or moving somewhere else or getting something new, none of these are bad. None of these are bad. But how does the return of Jesus dictate how we live our lives? I asked a brother a while ago this question. Would you let go of your wife and all your possessions knowing that Jesus would come back tonight? Would you hold on to that grip that God holds on to us with? Or would you let it go? Knowing that your wife is going to be safe with Jesus. All of us here at Ford Baptist, how does 
the return of Jesus impact your everyday life? We need to move beyond the theological conversations of where you or I stand on the day and the hour of his return. Most of you probably don't even have a stance on that topic. It doesn't matter. But I want, you, I want to encourage you all this morning. And I, what I want and need us all to agree on is this. Do you love that Jesus is coming back? And the answer must be yes. Yes. This is where we are in this time of church history. We aren't waiting for a deliverer to deliver us from Egypt. Or a king to rule us in front of all the other empires of the world. Or a Messiah to come and free us from oppression. The Bible says we are in the end times now for the last 2,000 years. There isn't any more room for ignorance or saying I didn't know. And this is really why Paul is telling Timothy, preach the Bible. People around you don't want God's truth. They love their own truth and their own lust. They surround themselves with people who have the same lust. But don't just endure hardships. Preach the gospel. Do the work of an evangelist. Brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian here today, and you claim the name of Jesus. You love him. You long to serve him. And you long to make his name known to the lost. You must also long for his return. You must also long for his return. In this passage, this isn't just an add-on or a cherry on top. This is the entire cake. The appearing of Jesus. You see, these people in this day of the passage we're going through today, they literally longed for Jesus to return. They couldn't bear this life anymore or the seductions of the world any longer. It truly is and should be a defining area of your life here today. If you are a Christian, it should be front and center in all the decisions that you make. It has to be. John Stott, a theologian, who is commenting on this verse specifically, he says this, and I found it very par uh, powerful. I'll read it for you. Quote, The crown of righteousness is awarded to all those who have set their hearts on his coming appearance. Not because this is a commendable attitude to adopt, but because it is a sure evidence of justification. Unbelievers being unjustified dread the coming of Christ if they believe in it or think about it at all. Being unready for it, they will shrink in the shame from Christ at his coming. Believers, on the other hand, having been justified, look forward to Christ's coming and have set their hearts upon it. Being ready for it, they will have boldness when Christ appears. Only those who have entered by faith into the benefit of Christ's first coming are eagerly awaiting his second. End quote. He says, unbelievers dread 
the coming of Christ. This is the difference that, this is the difference set between the unbeliever and the Christian. And this is why it's so weighty. And why Paul is saying this. It is the fuel of every spiritual reality in our lives. The fact that at the end of this life, if we persevere, if we keep the faith, and the fact that we will receive the crown of righteousness from our righteous judge, all of this in the light of Jesus' return, it is the defining mark of the Christian in this time and place right now. Jesus isn't interested if you almost know when he's coming back. He needs to know that you long for it because you know it is the reason that you do all that you do. So this New Year's, brothers and sisters, persevere, persevere. Do not let this world dictate what truth is to you. But preach the truth of scripture to the world in love and kindness, patience, joy. Praise God that he has brought you to a church that loves Jesus, everyone. Loves his word and will preach it no matter what. Sometimes that could cause problems and cause a stir. But praise God for that. You are where you should be. Praise God for the charge that Paul gave Timothy to preach the word. And that we have elders in this church who have taken up that charge 2,000 years later. The reality is, if you stick it out, if you dig into the word of God, the Bible, dig into prayer, into fellowship with this community here, you will persevere. And it will allow you to fight the good fight. And finish the race. All these things, all these things, this Bible here, the fact that we could pray to God, the fact that this building exists, that we come sit in these pews and listen to me and Pastor Stephen, Pastor Aaron, that is a gift from God. If you work in a hostile environment that hates Jesus, which is most places in the city now, being in this community will help you do it well to love the lost world around you. This is why you need the local church. You need the church. And scripture is not an option. Maybe I'll go, maybe I won't. It's a need. You need it. Paul is saying also to all who have longed, and all isn't just universal, but it's, remember, this is written to Timothy, a pastor, a pastor of a church, an overseer of many churches. We need the church community to persevere and to long for the return of Jesus together. This is not something you could do in your room all by yourself. You need the community to long for Jesus together. And at the end of this life, we can long with joy and anticipation right now. And we can do it right now. Wherever you are in your life, you can long with joy and anticipation, saying, I will receive a crown of righteousness from my king through faith in Jesus Christ alone. This is what longing 
for Jesus appearing looks like. Because Jesus is coming back. I am laying down, I'm laying this down as a foundation for all my life choices. I'm going to dig into the Bible. I'm not going to give up because of persecution for my faith and the corruption of the sinful flesh. So brothers and sisters, everyone in this room, today, make that decision. Living your life for him in this new year. Being here in this community. Preaching the gospel to the lost. Doing the work of an evangelist, like Paul tells Timothy. And now, right now in this time of history, we await with much anticipation the return of the Lord, our Savior, our King, our righteous judge, Jesus Christ. Amen? Let me pray. And the worship team come up. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that is, even though there are hard things in it to read sometimes, it is clear. And Lord, you put us in such a time as now, in this time of history, 2,000 years later. And Lord, we await your return. And I, I pray for each, every heart and mind in this room to, this morning, that you would help us to long for the return of Jesus. I pray that that will be a defining part of this church. That we are men and women who serve hard in this church. Who want to see lost people saved. But that we are also people who long for his return. So Father, be with us this morning. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you.